This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning, and here we are at episode number 63 of Go To Grandma. I'm your host, Kathy Buckworth, and hey, I was born in 1963, so I like the synchronicity of this week's show. Back in the day, growing up in the 1960s, we were all marched off to vaccinations at the doctors and at the school gym. All the regular ones, polio, MMR, diphtheria, etc. One came in a sugar cube, but the rest were straight into our arm. Today, our grandkids continue to get those vaccines, but with the arrival of COVID and the advances in flu vaccines, they are subject to getting a few more than we had to. Is it causing a fear of needles in our grandkids? What strategies can be used before, during, and after a vaccination to reduce needle pain for children of different ages? Dr. Christine Chambers is an international leader in the study of children's pain, and she is on the show today to help us through our own grandkids' trepidation and pain, as well as maybe our own. COVID is, of course, one of the worst things that our grandkids have had to face already in their young lives. But there are unfortunately a lot of other troubling situations in the world. Wars, school shootings, new viruses, global warming, it can be a lot sometimes for us as well as them. But do they need to know everything that's going on in the world? Should we be proactive in telling them about what's happening? Family counselor and friend of the show, Allison Schaefer, is here today to talk us through a measured response to their questions and how we can be honest and open with them without frightening them. As well, what happens when our version of what's happening is different than their parents? Allison will help us negotiate that as well. Financially, the outlook might feel a little bit dire as well. So we have economist Carrie Freestone from RBC on as part of our Take 5 with RBC series. And she's going to tell us how the pandemic has affected our economy, but also point to some positive signs for the upcoming months. What's ahead for the Canadian dollar, interest rates, and real estate. So without needling you to stay tuned, I'll get straight to the point and have Dr. Christine Chambers up next. This won't hurt a bit, I promise. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Dr. Christine Chambers is an international leader in the study of children's pain and the mobilization of health research, a clinical psychologist, professor, and Tier 1 Canada Research Chair at Dalhousie University. Her research, aimed at improving pain management in children and their families, is based in the Center for Pediatric Pain Research at the IWK Health Center. She is also the Scientific Director of Solutions for Kids in Pain, a national network whose mission is to improve children's pain management by mobilizing evidence-based solutions through coordination and collaboration. Good morning, Dr. Chambers. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. So we've had to go through quite a few needles in the last little while, not only because of the pandemic, but increasingly as we, you know, get our annual flu shots, etc. How common are needle fears? Yeah, so needle fears are very common. In fact, I mean, when you tell kids they're going to see the doctor, the first thing they ask you is, you know, am I going to get a needle? So uh, no one enjoys getting needles, and kids uh, can be particularly fearful of needles. And, um, you know, we know that one in uh, five to ten children and even adults has a fear of needles that's so severe that they um, avoid, you know, actively avoid going to the doctor and avoid wanting to get a needle. Yeah, and you raise a good point. It's not just kids, right? There's a lot of adults that carry that needle fear as well. 
Totally. I often describe needle fears as, you know, a dirty little secret that adults are sometimes scared to tell people or embarrassed that they are afraid of needles. And and we know that that is a big contributor to why people don't get vaccinated. So we really just try to open up the conversation around how common needle fears are, the fact that there are actually strategies that are proven by research that children and adults can use, and and how if we did a better job at at actually using those strategies um, in childhood, it could make a huge difference on how people feel about needles later in life. So you're going to tell me what those strategies are that can be used before, during and after a vaccination to reduce needle pain. Yeah, so there's lots of strategies and some of them are age dependent. So for example, if you uh, have an infant and you're breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. uh, there's actually a ton of research that shows that breastfeeding your infant during uh, painful procedures like vaccinations actually doesn't just make them feel better. It, it Science has shown that it actually reduces pain. So that's a really hmm. kind of natural strategy um, that parents um, can use if, if they are breastfeeding. But there are other strategies that work, you know, across the ages. Uh, we know that, for example, um, using a topical anesthetic cream, mm-hmm. it's like a numbing cream that you can purchase over the counter at pharmacies. You can apply it to the skin about an hour before the needle. And so this this cream um, significantly reduces pain. So that's something that most people are unaware of mm-hmm. um, and, and can be a really good solution. Uh, we also know that psychological strategies, like just making sure that you are able to distract your child during mm-hmm. a needle. So when I take my four kids in for needles, I mean, I make sure I have a cool, you know, app or something on YouTube that they can watch that will really attract their attention. And also just simple breathing exercises and relaxation strategies to help keep children calm and relaxed during the needle. So those are some simple things that parents can do. And I really encourage parents and grandparents to really think about um, what kind of plan they can have in place um, to make sure that you walk into appointments with a bit of a sense of how you could support the child and what you could do. Yeah, no, and I I think that's exactly right. Like, what can parents and grandparents do? Because often grandparents were taking them in maybe as well. What can we do for these kids who have a fear of needles when it's actually interfering with their ability to get vaccinations? Yeah, so I always think about, you know, good pain management and all the things that I just described, all those strategies. Those are things we should be doing for every kid or offering for every kid for every needle. You know, these are are research proven techniques and let's do our best to manage the pain of needles, um, you know, before it gets to becoming a, a major fear or phobia. But once a child actually does have a significant fear of needles, um, you know, there's no amount of distracting Mm -hmm. or relaxing that you can do that that will really support them in the moment. And so that's when um, you really need to do enlist some more professional help. Um, Certainly some strategies like letting the clinic know in advance that your child or grandchild suffers from a really severe fear of needles, asking what advice they have. During the pandemic, we actually saw, you know, new vaccination clinics that specialize mm-hmm. in having extra supports for people with, with vaccine fears or needle fears. So really important to communicate um, the fear, but also recognizing that um, there are trained professionals who can help. So for example, registered psychologists can um, help treat needle fear, which in essence is, is like a phobia yep. by gradually exposing 
um, the child in a supportive way to what they fear um, and also kind of layering on some additional coping strategies. So I really try to convey to parents and grandparents that, you know, this can be a big challenge uh, for families, but that this is an area where there's a lot of research showing both how to better manage pain from needles, but also how to help kids who have developed uh, severe needle phobias. Um, And that's the same for adults as well. Like this is very treatable Mm -hmm. um, with the right expertise. That's good news that it's true. And I know that my daughter with my two-year-old grandson, when he's going in for his vaccines, you know, he'll say, is it going to hurt? And she'll say, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's being honest. You know, is it going to pinch for a minute and then it's going to be fine. So I think, you know, that's worked for him as well to not, you know, not lying to them. How's that saying this will be fine. You won't feel a thing. Absolutely. Being honest, um, you know, we often hear from parents who are, you know, tell their children there won't be a needle because they are worried that if they tell them there will be, that they won't be able to get them to the appointment. And all that does is really undermine trust and and make the challenge even greater. So always being very honest, being very neutral. And, you know, families have a huge influence on Mm -hmm. how children, you know, respond to pain and how they learn to cope with pain. And so I tell, you know, parents and grandparents that it's really important that you control your own anxiety. Um, If you're afraid of needles, Maybe you're not the best person to <laughs> yeah. take your child. You um, maybe that's when you want to rely on, a, you know, a, a grandparent sure. who can step in and, and be an additional support person. So I think really important that the modeling and, and the, 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 the um, kind of family reactions are, are, are really critical and important to keep in mind. My daughter also employed one of those, you know, kid doctor kits, you know, with the, you know, the little ones where it has the fake needle and she would put it in her arm and say, oh, and then, you know, carry on and do the next part of it. And I think that really helped them as well. And I really appreciate your advice on this, Dr. Chambers. And if we want more information, we can certainly go to drcchambers.ca or your social media handles or Dr. C. Chambers as well on Twitter and Instagram. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. And I hope we help some folks today. Me too. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Chambers. Allison Schaefer is a parenting expert. She is the best-selling author of three parenting books, including the hilariously titled Honey, I Wrecked the Kids. She speaks and trains around the world. Here in Canada, she hosts the parenting show on Rogers TV, as well as the podcast Parenting the Adlerian Way. Good morning, Allison Schaefer. How are you today? I am just dandy, Kathy. How are you? I'm good. But you know what? Sometimes, Allison, I watch the news and I think, you know, the state of the world, not so great most days, you know, with news of new viruses, wars, political views, etc. Here's my question. Do our kids and grandkids really need to know everything that's going on in the world? It can seem so dire sometimes. I completely agree. Even as an adult, it seems dire. And I even promote to my adult clients and my counseling practice to be on a news diet and be judicious about what we let into our own lives as adults. So you can only imagine how much more I need to reinforce that idea when we're raising kids. You know, the idea here is, it, Kathy, is you got to find this line between our kids needing to grow and develop and to learn about the world around them, both the good and the bad. We don't want to sanitize life so that it's all unicorns and rainbows <laughs> because that's inaccurate mm-hmm. and they're up for a big shocker if they uh, you know, are being protected from the reality of life. But neither do we need to overwhelm and flood them with things that they're not able to process either emotionally or intellectually because there's a really big developmental piece here and, and I know that that means we have to kind of trust our trust our knowledge of our kids, stay on top of what a four-year-old and an eight-year-old and a 15-year-old can handle. There's a developmental piece. 
And then we have to kind of be the, I think of it as like being a windscreen. So at the youngest of ages, like your grandkids are very, very little. I mean, I would think that your granddaughter and you can be like that windshield that is completely blocking the world events because it has nothing to do with their world and their reality. They don't need to know that. But as things start to come up, like they're probably asking why are people wearing masks Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. what's going on. Well, then we open up like a a sieve. We start letting some age-appropriate, accurate information flow through to them to answer their curiosity in a truthful way. Mm -hmm. But we don't go deeper than that. We don't need to sit down and talk about how the... Yeah. (laughs) Well, when we we were on holidays this summer with our grandkids and we walked by a graveyard and Owen, who's two, said, what's that? And his mom, my daughter, said, that's a place where they put markers for people who have died. He said, okay, thanks. And we went on. We didn't have to get into the whole details around death and everything. So I think it's like, answer what they're asking you. So true. That was the end of his satisfaction. And most topics, if you think about it, because they are deep and there's some mental noodling around, like an onion, you just, you know, you add the next layer. His curiosity will ask him, well, what does death mean? Mm -hmm. You know, a goldfish will die or something else will come up. And these things layer, 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 and they build up. They're never one and done conversations, Not, not conversations about things like death, sex, money, relationships, Mm -hmm. world events. These are complex friendships. I mean, all these topics are complex, but they want, we need to let our kids know that there is no topic that is taboo, Mm -hmm. that you can talk to us about anything. And we need them to also know that we're giving them trustworthy information. So we want to make sure that we help do the interpretation. And this, I think, is a piece that parents miss. Okay. We assume that because we had the conversation one and done, we have to go circle back and check in and say, so, so what, do you, what do you think is happening right now? Tell me what you've come to <laughs> yeah. understand. Because when you listen to it from a kid's point of view, you realize how much fantasy mm-hmm. creation that they make up in their world in the absence of knowledge. So, of course, we're not going to tell them everything. So they're going to start filling in the blanks. Right. And suddenly, you know, you hear these stories back where you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. No, no, no. Actually, thank you. Thank you for letting me know that that's what you came to believe because that's inaccurate. And so we do need to ask them, what did you hear? What are you understanding? What are you making of this? so that we can then help them with some of the accuracy pieces as well. So here's a tricky question for you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So what if our version as grandparents is of what is happening is different than their parents' version of what's happening? How do we manage that? Oh, you know, I, would, I have to say I would treat it like so many other disagreements that happen between the generations. Yes. <laughs> you know, in a sense, we have to agree to disagree mm-hmm. uh, because it's going to happen in family life. And, of course, it's going to happen between the generations. But I think if we can make as a common family value that as our hierarchy of what's important, I would rather have my kids uh, understand that the relationships in the family and the healthiness of the relationships are of primacy in our value set and differences of opinions about who's right and wrong and whatever, vaccinations, Mm -hmm. Democrats, Republicans, vegan and meat eaters, pick whatever it's going to be. That the thing that trumps all of that is that in our family, relationships come first and we can agree to disagree and we can model to our children that all people are different and all people have different ways of going about life and all of it is absolutely fine. So to fight to the bitter end over your political standing or whether or not you're getting true information off Twitter about vaccinations and shredding the family 
is to invert the the primacy of getting along, loving one another, you know, in, in, uh, embracing differences. So I would say to, to, to parents, different people believe different things, and your mom and dad believe this, and we believe this, and I would leave it at that. If, if the kids pursue it, that's fine. But there is a pecking order. Yes. Parents come first. Parents do come first. And that's interesting. And not that there's been a controversy about this or anything, but my two-year-old uh, grandson is now identifying things as, well, that's vegan and that's not. Some people eat meat and we don't. And he's not judgmental about it at all. But because we've just been laying out facts that we eat meat, for instance, and his parents don't. So that you can call it a difference of lifestyle rather than difference of opinion, but it's important not to judge what the other person is doing in front of them at any rate. Right. And just the fact that he's just saying it, there's this and there's that. Yeah. They're both okay. <laughs> that's lovely. Exactly. And you've always had this advice when you've come on the show is protect the relationship first, right? Protect the relationships between kids and grandkids and parents. And this is the advice we need to heed on this kind of thing too, is to, I, I agree, our kids can't and grandkids can't know that nothing bad is going on in the world. But I think if we know where the points of opinion are going to be with our kids, we should share that before it blows up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before that Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, you know, we need to have those conversations. <laughs> and it's okay to say, you know what? This isn't good Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner right. conversation. Let's park that. This is family time. We get the kids around. Right. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> I like that. I like that advice a lot. So if we want more advice and information from Allison Schaefer, of course, we can find her on social media at Allison. That's A-L-Y-S-O-N-S-C-H-A-F-E-R on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and of course, your website at AllisonSchaefer.com. Thanks so much, Allison, for joining the show and providing us with all this clarity again. Always great to talk with you, Kathy. Thanks. Carrie Freestone is an economist at RBC. She is a member of the Macroeconomic Analysis Group and is responsible for monitoring key indicators, including consumer spending, labor markets, GDP, and inflation. Carrie produces economic analysis that she delivers to clients and the public through publications and presentation. Good morning, Carrie. Thanks so much for joining us as part of the Take 5 with RBC series. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about the cross-border economic outlook. And we all appreciate the economy has been impacted greatly by the pandemic. And now with interest rates rising and a looming recession, we're hoping that you're able to tell us there are some positive signs for the upcoming months and what we can look forward to. Well, some good news is the fact that it looks like inflation has peaked in Canada and maybe the U.S. too. I can start with that. Great. (laughs) Um, So in Canada, headline inflation is currently 7% down from 8.1% in July. Much of this can be explained by the fact that gas prices are trending lower in Canada, um, and that is a positive for people, you know, traveling south, potentially driving. But having said that, inflation of 7% is still too high, um, and that does mean that the Bank of Canada and the Fed as well will have to continue hiking interest rates higher. Uh, For Canada, we're expecting another 50 basis points at the next meeting, which is just a few weeks away, and then another 25 basis points in November. And you're right, we are calling for a recession. Our justification is just that we can't really envision a scenario where we're seeing, you know, decades high inflation, record low unemployment rates, and labor markets are extremely tight, and rising debt servicing costs, and not face eroding demand. So so this is sort of why we're expecting that we will see a recession going forward. But the good news is that we're calling for a moderate recession. So if we look at, you know, the past 12 recessions from the 50s uh, onwards till today, um, this recession, there's really only been, you know, three or four recessions that were more mild than the one that we're expecting um, going forward. So it won't be anything like we saw in 2008 or in the pandemic. Um, it, it's more so a more moderate market correction. That's a relief because, yeah, you're right. The word recession sort of strikes fear in all of us. And what would you consider to be the ongoing challenges for all of us from an economic indicator perspective? 
that prices are rising more rapidly than wages is a mm-hmm. challenge. Uh, the latest wage data shows growth averaging 5.4% in earnings, but headline inflation 7%. And actually, grocery prices are rising even north of 9%, which is the fastest rate since the early 80s. So for the average household, you know, you're facing record prices for groceries, and they're also facing higher debt servicing costs. So at some point, that will, you know, result in eroding demand. We're also tracking employment. Labor markets are far too tight. And by that, we mean we're in a situation where we don't have enough unemployed people to fill vacant jobs. Mm. Um, So the unemployment rate is actually too low. Um, So that's something we're following as well. Um, And at the same time, higher interest rates over the medium term are going to weigh on household debt servicing costs which will contribute to lower consumption into the beginning of next year. So it was these three sort of indicators together that determined our recession call uh, for the beginning of 2023. I wonder if you could make a quick comment as well on what maybe is ahead for the Canadian dollar for folks hoping to travel south again in the coming months as we approach winter. And any thoughts on interest rates and maybe real estate down there? Well, we're in a position now when the U.S. dollar is strengthening against the Canadian dollar, and it's not so much a story of Canadian dollar weakness. It's more so investors are gravitating towards the U.S. dollar as it's a safe haven currency. Um, This is especially relevant given what's happened to the pound a few weeks ago in the U.K., But, you know, for those looking to travel south, it may be prudent to plan for the U.S. dollar appreciating um, in the months ahead and into 2023. In terms of interest rates, we anticipate that the Bank of Canada will hike to 4% and that the Fed will hike to 4.5% by the end of the year. The reason the U.S. will likely have to hike higher than the bank um, is because Canadians are more interest rate sensitive since we're more highly leveraged. In Canada, we're certainly in the midst of a housing market correction. Mm -hmm. We do expect home prices here to fall a significant 14% from the market peak um, by next spring. Uh, But with that in mind, we did see home prices appreciate 52% throughout the pandemic. So we're not going to reverse all the pandemic gains that we saw. It's just more so a bit of a correction offsetting some of the gains. So much great information. If we want to find out anything else in the details of your economic outlet, we can certainly go to rbc.com slash economics. Thank you so much for updating us on this, Carrie. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. The minimum wage in 1963 was $1.25. Today in Ontario, it's fifteen fifty. Unemployment was at 5.5% in 1963, and today it sits relatively unchanged at 5.2%. But inflation was only 1.7% back then, and it's 76 today. Back in April of 1963, I weighed 6 pounds 8 ounces. I weigh a bit more than that now. So what do all of these numbers mean? The world is constantly changing, and we sometimes rely on the numbers to tell us what's happening. And that's a good thing. But sometimes we need to be more human in our approach at looking at what we think is bad in the world. And we need to make sure our grandchildren are well-armed for the world they live in and what's to come. But we don't need to make it painful. And we need to be there to help manage their concerns with our ability to look at things from a bigger picture. Because we're old and we've been through a lot. We know there are cycles of recession, unemployment, and we have faith that science will allow us to continue to fight against old and new viruses. Thanks to Christine, Allison, and Carrie for sharing their expertise with us so that we can share it with our families. One thing I loved sharing with my family when they were young was the music of Sharon, Lois, and Bram. Next week, I'm so happy to have Sharon and Bram back on the show to talk about their new picture book and single. Both are based on One Elephant Went Out to Play. I'm hoping I can get them to sing a few bars, of course, and maybe to explain why their music still resonates so much with today's young families. 
Millions of Canadians, both homeless and housed and young and old, utilize food banks every day to feed their families when they can't. The face of Canadian food banks is changing, and organizations like Feed Ontario are taking action to ensure that Ontarians struggling with food insecurity don't go hungry. I'll talk to them on next week's show. And of course, we'll have some terrific financial advice in our regular Take 5 with RBC interview. As this show closes, I hope you've enjoyed listening and learning with fun and facts as usual. I'm Kathy Buckworth, your go-to grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.